the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, folks. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon... They will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold the Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics, and the real issues that really matter. You too can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. And welcome everybody to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican, Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning to you. 
Good morning. And last but not least, joining us for this week's uh, roundtable, armchair politics alumnist and uh, a uh, member of the um, Convention of States Project, Wes Whitaker. Good morning, Wes. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, morning, Wes. (laughs) Good morning, Wes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Chucky's back. (laughs) (laughs) the return of Wes anyway uh, we always start out with a few quotes and the first one is uh, um, one where I ask you how would you finish this quote and it goes like this under every stone lurks what Mm, another stone (laughs) (laughs) um Lopes a secret. Well, this is a fun one, and it goes back a ways. Every, every, under every stone <coughs> lurks a politician. <laughs> That's a secret. <laughs> right. You know who said, who said that? that? Aristophanes, around 400 <laughs> B.C. <laughs> so all this stuff isn't new. I guess is the point. But here's a quote that caught my attention this week. Uh, In the face of sustained and alarming challenges to democracy, universal human rights, and all around the world, democracy needs champions. Secretary of State. um, That's um, on his way to Africa, I believe, to resolve the problem. No, that's that's a great... uh, no, that's a that's a great guess. It was actually uh, President Joe Biden on Thursday, oh. as he took the next step in his plans to promote democracy against rising autocracies when he convened a virtual summit for democracy, which hosted more than a hundred participants representing governments, uh, civil society, and private sector leaders as well. What is the so by autocracy? He's referring to the U.S. Congress, of course, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> but but let's go ahead and get into this. What is the best way to promote democracy at home and abroad? You know, I think one thing it's got to do. It's got to produce results. I mean, I think one frustration we're seeing now is that so many of these democratic institutions seem deadlocked and incapable of producing results. So I think that's a lot of the frustration we're seeing. And I would apply that both to the Flint City Council and to some degree the U.S. Congress and maybe several points in between. Yes, and there's got to be a range of standards for what we believe, where we think we want to go, and work uh, together to accomplish those goals. I don't see that in the United States today, Uh, no matter who is driving the process. It's just not there. We're also difficult and different, and so appear to want different things. We're not together. I was a little surprised when Wes brought up Congress and not the White House talking about autocracies. <laughs> I, well, I don't think to answer your question, I don't think you can have democracy if you don't have discourse. Democracy started in Greece, and one of the main principles of democracy was people had discourse between each other. They talked. True. They shared their ideas. They listened to what the other person said. They considered it, and then they (laughs) shared what they believed about what was being said. We don't have that anymore. We've devolved into polarized camps and 
we throw memes at each other and, and discourse slogans. west discourse isn't always civil but i think it's at its best when it is I agree. Yeah, if you're going to solve problems, it's got to be an exchange of ideas, not a, not a matter of yelling and screaming at each other. Well, if, if there's uh, one thing that the Europeans taught the world and the, at the conclusion of the 16th and 17th century, it was how to search for the truth, how to work together. Uh, nobody else were involved in those conversations except the Europeans. They give us the world that we live in today. Sure, we have controversy, but it, it, gets, it also achieves re results uh, so that human beings uh, can live uh, in a society with a high degree of certainty. You know, I, think, I, I think it's fair to say that when you have an incompetent, inefficient government, it, it does tend to, to uh, produce autocracy. I mean, you saw that, for example, in Germany when the... Weimar Republic in the 20s was inept in many ways and was followed by Hitler. So I, again, the frustration people have with that discourse and inefficiency and conflict can often lead to, to an autocratic government of some kind. We, we have no objection to the world that was handed us by uh, the Europeans. Everything that we know, I know nothing without looking through the veil of what those people in, in that society at the conclusion of the 16th and 17th century, I don't know anything outside of it. I can't imagine anything outside of that. I don't think anybody else in the world, no matter where they are, can do either. There were some this pretty is a good dominant... Pardon? Henry, there were some pretty good thinkers in that time frame, and they asked a lot of the right questions. True. Yes. Well, here's, here's another quote that caught my attention. This one's a little closer to home um, in Lansing specifically. The majority party has chosen to do nothing for years. We need to work together on this. It's critically important, and we really cannot wait any longer. Kind of ties into what we were talking about. Biden. No, no, no. Jocelyn uh, Benson. No, that'd be that's a good guess, Wes. But uh, <laughs> Governor Whitmer, it was. He tried to get your driver's license updated. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but I'm, I'm not questioning. So, you know, I uh, never mind. That's another. That's another discussion. A Democratic. That was a, a Democratic senator, Rosemary Bayer from Beverly oh. Hills, who represents the district that includes Oxford, Michigan. Oh. And she's pushing a series of new gun control bills that would limit the sale of gun magazines that hold more than 10 rounds. Bayer called gun violence an epidemic, adding that thoughts and prayers won't be enough to head off future tragedy like what happened in Oxford. Is more legislation the answer to gun violence? Mm. Don't you just love politicians, yeah. how they never let uh, yeah. a tragedy go to waste? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, even, even I, I've got no problem with gun control laws, but the the idea that you're going to limit people to t ten rounds means, well, you can only shoot ten people, and number eleven is going to be safe. I mean, it's <laughs> it's, such, it's such a small step in that direction that I don't see it's going to make any real meaningful difference. Uh, you know, when I was in high school at this time of year, or well, in the fall anyway, you could go out in the parking lot at at any time in November, and you'd probably find. 20 or 30 
of firearms because everybody went hunting after school. Yeah, I, I can didn't have any it. shootings. I, I, I can relate to that. Yeah, I, can re- I grew up in rural Illinois, and the same thing. Yeah, we we often had had a a, a shotgun in the, in the back of the car or something. And they say after school yeah. you'd go out and do a little hunting, and nothing ever happened in the schools. <coughs> I don't think that guns are the problem. It's no, the no people. gun ever killed anybody. It's the attitude. It's how we uh, rank ourselves and we collect ourselves in certain groups that push violence and stuff like that and um and that is the problem it's 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 uh we have to learn how to get along we have to become more civil and we've said that many times and other people have said the same thing the lack of civility i looked at some of the the video games that some of my (laughs) younger relatives have and it was like first shooter Games and they are gory as can be. <laughs> you shoot somebody and their head explodes. I mean, th- this is entertainment. It's um, <clears throat> they're they're kind of like addressing the the lion for eating the people after somebody was. Uh, <laughs> <not>. <laughs> I was I was always a little bothered when uh, when Mario would get hit in the head with a barrel. Yeah, <laughs> that's when it started, I guess. But, I mean, it's just, it's they're looking at the wrong thing. Trying to fix the problem by focusing on the wrong thing. Yeah, I don't think the guns are the problem, but, but guns do kill a lot of people, and, and they're there as the image of the real problem, but they're not. We, we haven't looked behind the gun. There's a head filled with about 11 billion brain cells, and... But that no gun has ever killed anybody by itself, Henry. Of it course, on the other hand, the proliferation of guns has led to other things like increased suicide, deaths, and, mm-hmm. and accidents for kids and things that, <laughs> beyond the intentional shooting that we hear about in the news yeah, but, a lot. But again, the routine stuff is so big, too. But again, is is it the is it the gun that causes the suicide, or is that just? A method for carrying it out. Yeah, right? well, it's it's a more it's definite a method. Than, yeah, I mean, it's a choice. Yeah, that we make. It's, uh, if it's if it's available for someone who's in that in that yeah. state of mind, it may be more more fatal than taking a pill that you might be able to recover from later, or you know, overdosing on something. Uh, so that that's that's true. Well, you know, I think of those people that jump off of buildings. You know. What happens if they change their mind halfway <laughs> down? <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Um, anyway, we've got to take a short break, but uh, Mayor Neely gave his second State of the City address last night, and uh, we're going to talk about that and a whole bunch more stuff when uh, Armchair Politics continues. If you're listening to us on WFOV, Our Voices Radio, 92.1 LPFM Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break if you're streaming us at tomsumnerprogram.com we have some messages as well so don't touch that dial don't click that mouse we'll be right back everybody's doing a brand new dance now hi this is mark farner and you're listening to the tom sumner program 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Tanaya, Zoe, Autumn, Destiny. And the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. As this administration completes year two, we maintain our focus, dedication, and optimism. It is through prayer, planning, and partnership that we have moved our community forward. And now we will build a stronger Flint. We are proud of the work that we have achieved. I am proud of my administration. The work is challenging, but rewarding. And we are making progress. And welcome back to Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Wes Whitaker. And uh, that was Mayor Sheldon Neely delivering his second State of the City address during a special electronic City Council meeting uh, this week, last night in fact. And um, he said, during my address I will be joined by a few of my directors to give additional highlights and plans for 2022. Did you watch? What are your thoughts and reactions to uh, last night's speech by the mayor? Yeah, I watched, and I, I, mean, I thought, I mean, it was pretty much as expected. I can't say there were any shocking surprises. But, you know, can I speak now? Yeah, go, go ahead, Henry. Oh, but what I really liked about his speech, and you don't hear this very often, from local politicians. He was positive. He positive. He was um, leading his, uh, uh, the people under his leadership toward positive goals. He talked about positive goals, not negative goals. Negative goals never influence anybody. But he talked about where he's been, where he's uh, going, and uh, the people with which he um, work with to achieve these goals. That's a process. That's worthwhile listening. But you're criticizing everybody else, and you're talking about the miserable things uh, that go on around us. Uh, everybody knows those, but what they don't know is where we're going and what we need, where we need to go, and who's going with us. I enjoyed that. You know what I found really interesting was the fact he had the several department heads speaking, and particularly Rob Whittigan, who's the chief financial officer, <laughs> speaking about some of the financial challenges the city is facing, which are are serious, uh, and some of the emphasis he put upon how we're going to use some of that emergency COVID money. He hopes to uh, to stabilize the city finances because I mean, if you take a look at some of the the things in the future. One one worry that I have is the financial stability of the city. I mean, a lot of other stuff going on, but uh, they've been borrowing a lot of money from the um, uh, uh, rainy day fund uh, to 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 cover some some of the retiree benefits, and that that may be a big issue for for some time to come in the city of Flint. But that will take a long time process to solve. Oh well, yeah, it's been going on a long time, and there's going true. to be a lot of resistance. There, yeah. just city for their part. That's true. I don't, uh, yeah. Paul, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that about the department heads because that was one of the things that got my attention. Um, it, two things that were, you know, more form than substance, but um, 
the fact that they had to do it electronically, he brought some of his old TV experience into it. And True. It was, it was kind of <laughs> yeah. a television production. And he did have three of his department heads um, weigh in on, on a few of the points that they wanted to stress, accomplishments and goals. And it ended up being, it was somewhere between 20 and 25 minutes long. And I'd say half of it was dedicated to his team, you well, know, members of his team, and not all <clears throat> him talking. Here's here's a little something he said about the uh, about finances. Using some of the American Rescue Plan dollars, we have the opportunity to transform our community into something better and greater and stronger. You've heard from me about this administration's accomplishments and my plans for the next year. I now want to introduce you to three of my directors to give more details about projects and plans in the areas of finance, economic development, and public works. And then he turned it over, you know, one at a time to the three that he just uh, just mentioned. I, I thought that was kind of interesting and in some ways refreshing and made the speech move a little faster. I, I think that's true. I, I, yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, uh, about guns. And uh, let's see if I can find it here on my, on my list. There was something he said. Yeah, there was one comment about, about the state legislature and guns, I think I heard somewhere in oh, the Middle East. No, this, this is what I was thinking, this segment in right July, here. In July, I declared a state of emergency inside the city of Flint due to gun violence. These actions were taken to combat gun violence in our community. The actions that we've taken, reopening five police mini stations, training more than 30 volunteers, providing 15 community crime grants to local groups, working with local businesses to connect their surveillance systems to our police department's intel system. We are doing the work that's necessary to keep our community safe. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting. At one point in the speech, he was, ta he was talking about crime being down, except homicide. Right. He had to kind of turn sideways there because... Overall, crime statistics are down, but yet violent, uh, violent crimes, gun deaths in particular are. And then an ironic thing was just I think it was the day before they had that shooting and that uh, that car crash just a few blocks away from the city hall, over by the farmers market, and the U of M. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm still I'm still not caught up on exactly what the sequence of events were. There were Neither am I. I, I all I heard was that there was an exchange of gunfire and then somebody drove away in a car crash and somebody was killed in the car. Yeah, the car rolled over and point. I don't... There, there was one person killed and three people hospitalized from that car rollover, but it's still not certain whether the injuries were all from the car crash or if there were some gunshot injuries as well. Yeah, I, I haven't heard that either. But as I say, it's ironic. I mean, just literally a, a few blocks away from City Hall, all that took place just the previous day. Well, what, um, 
How do you attribute crime being down in the city of Flint? What causes it? Is it police uh, presence or is it the change of heart of the villains mm. or some other A lot factor? of people are staying in because of down? Well, yeah, it could be I a couple of people staying in. That's possible. Wes, I, I think you're right about that um, on two fronts. One, um, you know, the the potential perpetrators of crime were were quarantined but also people were staying home more and more likely to protect their homes houses weren't sitting empty you know to be burglarized so i think those kinds of crimes went down and um and and some of it is um how much left is there to to take <laughs> it's all gone. <laughs> That's right. The population is down, so it inevitably now. Down. So the criminal is going to stay home to protect his property, right? Yeah. <laughs> all the stuff he's already stolen. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> right. Has there been an uptick on vinyl siding on uh, eBay? Yeah, I yeah I haven't seen the. Uh, you know what copper's going for, and yeah, that was a big thing for a while. All those copper pipes were getting sold on the North yeah. Door Highways junkyards. <laughs> well, yeah. that that brings up another thing that that the mayor touted as um, one of the accomplishments uh, accomplishments over the last year. Our fight on blight continues. Our partnerships with Crime Stoppers and the Mott Foundation to fight blight has been successful. This year alone we have removed more than 240,000 pounds of blight from our community. That's 120 tons of blight elimination. This is dump trash, not residential garbage that people place in front of their home on garbage pickup day. This year, we have had many community cleanups to fight blight. We've worked with our partners here in the city of Flint to make our community cleaner. If you see someone dumping illegally, you can report it anonymously. Just call Crime Stoppers, 1-800-422-JAIL. Repeat, 1-800-422-JAIL. If you see anyone treating our community like a garbage can, please help keep our community clean. A fight on blight is everybody's fight. Another full year of challenges, gains, and plenty of opportunity. Whoops, I queued queued that one up a little bit soon. Um, that's one I want to hold back for uh, a little later if we get to it. Um, you know, one of the things that they did in Detroit that I that I thought was pretty interesting, and it's proven to be pretty successful, they took all these empty homes, abandoned homes, and knocked them down, and where they ended up with a large amount of vacant land they put in community gardens yeah yeah and people in the neighborhood started growing their own vegetables and everything and they defended their own community gardens if they caught somebody poaching vegetables or something they were all out there and said you know this is our garden you don't live here but but you know uh, in that whole process which is a noble thing to do but the people didn't clean up the waste as required by environmental laws. They left the cotton stalks, uh, not the cotton stalks, but the corn stalks, and all of that stuff in the fields is is for the blight instead of turning it over or removing it. 
that is something that still needs to be uh, reconciled. Well, that's just lack of education because, yeah. you know, I, I blame you know, the community no government. <laughs> you know, on yeah. the blight issue, there's one issue that I don't quite understand. When I drive around Flint, I will periodically see people who've dumped things, particularly mattresses, yes. in empty lots and by, you know, standalone dumpsters and all that. And what strikes me as odd is that, you know, if you want to get rid of a mattress, you drag it out, and that, I believe the trash folks will pick it up. <clears throat> but why load it into a, into a car or a truck, drive across town someplace and find an empty lot and drag it out of your truck and dump it there? It's almost more work to litter than it is to, to do it in the, in the conventional way. But I see it happening all the time. Maybe they're getting there. Maybe there's blood stains on the other side. You don't. Uh, yeah, them. maybe that's it. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, I I do think that we need to take uh, more of uh, a uh, look at environmental conditions in a city uh, because that will encourage people who are looking for new places to locate their businesses. That encourages invention and and uh, uh, investment. So uh, we need to, like the mayor says, we need to do a better job of getting rid of lights in the city that will help us gradually grow back to a point where we can attract businesses. And we need to do something about our schools. I didn't even mention anything about the schools, but the schools are part of the big question. Can we generate the kind of kids in this community that can hold the jobs required by the 21st century uh, workplace? And that's what we're waiting for. Yeah, you're right. Well, they didn't mention schools. Of course, it's technically not under the city directly. It's a separate operation. No, it isn't. But, yeah, um, but I think I'm glad to see that the uh, the Flint schools are taking a look at that. Uh, uh, that uh, Mott Foundation offer yes. of, of, of funds to rebuild an awful lot. I mean, it's controversial in some ways, but at least they're taking a serious look at it, and it may be uh, the best hope around these days. And the mayor thanked the, the uh, Mott Foundation for its engagement. Yeah, very dealing with the blight and stuff like that. So we're bringing back institutions of government that used to run the city, the city hall, the Mott Foundation and General Motors Corporation. They were big entities that had lots of money, and they did whatever uh, was uh, was dreamed of or uh, implemented to help drive that whole process for a better community. Yeah. Well, I think there's an opportunity for schools to uh, maybe not bring back shop class, but bring back some sort of technology training Mm -hmm. um, I think there's lots of sense of that. You know, everybody's yeah. talking about automation's going to change everything, but the counterpoint to that is that somebody's got to fix the robots. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Right. Well, and that's a smart guy with a PhD. <laughs> the, the Davison Board of Education held a uh, closed session last night um, to consider a possible resolution to censure Matthew Smith, a trustee and Genesee County GOP chair, after he pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor last month. Um, from what I understand, it was a pretty contentious uh, 
meeting, there were a number of uh, supporters of Matthew Smith there and, uh, of course, uh, people representing the recall challenge. But, um, Paul, did you happen to see what the outcome was, and, and what do you see in Smith's No, I did, did not future? see the outcome, but I, when, I, when I saw the story, I wondered whether or not the... Uh, the censure was kind of an attempt to head off the recall because I, I see a lot of things on Facebook where the folks behind the recall are, sound like they're pretty active in trying to get signatures for their petition. And I kind of wonder whether or not, if there was a censure, whether or not that would uh, would blunt the effort to, to, to go for a full-blown recall. Um, but I did not see the results of last night's meeting there. <clears throat> What what do you see in Smith's political future? I he's an ambitious guy. I, I think he's going to be around for a while. I mean, he, whatever happens here, I, that's not. I doubt that it's the end of his career. Well, I mean, Henry knows him better than I do. I think. Yeah, but, clearly. Uh, um, and I, I've met him a handful of times. Um, but clearly, he's you know, how old is he? Twenty three years old. Twenty six. Twenty four. Twenty four. You know, mm-hmm. and he's 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 done a lot in a short time. Um, yes. So I, I, I suspect, you know, whatever happens, even if he does face a full-blown recall, uh, I, I suspect he'll be around for a while. And, and you know, um, I think uh, he's hoping that uh, the traditional trend to forgive politicians who make mistakes are there for him. He's only 24 years old. He had his turn. Uh, before the courts, and maybe he can reclaim his his value to society or to the community if 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 he is convicted of of uh, you know violating the law in some way or something like that. He's still young and well, still. I'm going to ask you, Henry: Is there any move within the local Republican Party to remove him as chair? No, in light of the recall. No. Absolutely no, not. no, because because the facts of the case do not warrant it. There's a lot of he said, she said, and there's been a lot of political assassination attempts is what it boils down to. There's a lot of the facts have not been come up, have not been put out. But when he admitted, he admitted uh, that he had made the he admitted phone he call. made a phone call. Yeah, yeah. he pled guilty. Yeah. Yeah. He so that, call, but he that. Well, he's yeah, scheduled he needs- for sentencing on January 11th, and it'll be interesting to see how quickly he gets past this and and lives this down and lives to fight another day. But his supporters are very rigid. They're behind him no matter what he does. Uh, so he has that kind of support among his. I wouldn't go that far, Henry. I mean, I support him, but I've had conversations where, you know, I've made comments like, you run a great meeting, but uh, it's a little stern, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that too. He, he does, he does, he is way beyond his years as far as his abilities to lead, and I think he's got a, a great future ahead of him, but there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that are, it's just the ugly side of politics. Yeah, and and we we need to recognize that you, you see, you you can't make a mistake. Only God forgives, but people never forgive. And somebody will remember this ten years from now when he runs for prosecutor or whatever. You know, that's, those are things that you need to avoid. If we can well, learn how to 
govern ourselves at young ages, we can pursue a career for a lifetime. Oh, we, we, should, we should be reminded here in Flint we've elected an ex-felon as mayor and a couple of them to uh, city council <laughs> occasionally, so <laughs> it may not be as big a barrier as you think. Well, let, <laughs> let me see if I can squeeze this one in before we go to break. Proposed language to recall County Commissioner Gary Pepin has been rejected by the County Election Commission. The commission voted 3-0 to zero not to authorize the attempted recall against Pepin, a Davison Democrat, on Thursday, December 9th, saying the language which stating the reason for the recall was unclear. It was the third time this year that Richfield Township resident Leonard Marden attempted to recall Pepin, a first-term commissioner, who has missed dozens of meetings of the Board of Commissioners and its committees this year because of health issues. Marden's proposed recall language says the commissioner should be recalled because of a lack of representation by Gary Pepin, who under his watch has missed 41 board and committee meetings in 2021. Is poor attendance grounds for recall? Yes. Mm. You're not representing your community. Yeah, again, I don't know what his health issues are. If <laughs> oh, yeah. Temporary or something longer, yeah. you know, something longer lasting. Than of course, if he, has, well, yeah, how many, if he has health issues. How many excused absences do you get? I don't know. Yeah, it depends on the board. Well, it, the board yeah, it depends. Yeah, but there comes a point where you should be gracious enough to step aside and say, you know, look, I'm having issues, and somebody I'm just not able to serve at this time. Exactly. Uh -huh. Yeah, you know, I, I wish Mr. Martin would isolate, uh, explain his position from David Martin, so that we don't confuse two very fine elected. Well, people. no, Leonard Martin. M-A-R-D-E-N. Yeah, but there, there's also a state representative. Yeah, that's right. that's David right. Martin. And he yeah, used to hold this seat, <clears throat> and then he went to the state house. He took but the Gary county Pepin, seat of Pepin, northern Tennessee County. Gary but Pepin I don't think that this has any relationship with David Martin. No, not at all. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I probably just misspoke and, and saying no. Martin's name sounded like Martin. Um, but oh, uh, Gary okay. Pepin is the one who has missed all the all the meetings. Mm -hmm. He's the one sure. holding the seat now. So the, the the board will eventually decide, or the the public will make them decide something on Mr. Pepin, or the recall committee will do something. But there's a process out there. Yeah, I'm but, it, say, but if it's, this it's a long-term health issue, it might be it might be grounds to step aside. Sure. Um, but I think this is one of those times where the the recall is probably appropriate. I'm not a big fan of recalls generally, but uh, no, am I? But I think this one, you know, might be called for. Anyway, um, would would, would a referendum be more appropriate? Just have the people That's the perfect thing. A referendum. Yeah, let the people decide. Maybe. Yeah, let, let the, the people, people make their voice be heard, you know? Yeah. Well, we've got some voices that need to be heard. We're gonna take a short <laughs> break and we'll be back with more right after this. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? 
a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go.
Katie. Lucy. Delfina. Tamaya. Sammy. Lauren. Maya. Raya. Riley. Ella. Gabby. Emma. Alyssa. And the Tom Sumner Program. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as Armchair Politics uh, continues on the Tom Sumner Program. Uh, we have our round uh, Go ahead, Paul. I, I, well, during the break, I was skimming through some stories, and I see the Davidson Board did censure Matthew Smith. The, the vote appears to be four to two from what I'm seeing here, I believe. So I just I I want to throw that saw, in. Yeah, thanks, Paul. I, I think I maybe saw something about that on uh, Facebook early this morning. Um, somebody was asking, who voted no? I'll skim through and see if it mentions any names here. I, I just saw the story a minute ago. Anyway, um, State Senate Minority Leader Jim Ananick has introduced legislation to repeal Michigan's emergency manager law and a separate bill designed to identify local governments that are experiencing financial stress sooner so they can avoid state takeovers. Ananick, a Democrat from Flint, said it should be obvious that the current law requires replacement and isn't currently being used anywhere in the state. His proposal, uh, or his proposed repeal bill, comes a year after a study by the University of Michigan School of Public Health concluded the state's emergency manager law effectively silenced the voices of Flint citizens during the water crisis. Has Michigan's emergency uh, manager law become obsolete? Uh, I think so. Uh, I think politically yeah. obsolete, yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. there's no doubt the state's got the right to intervene in some situations. Yeah. But depending, considering what's happened with the, the, the current one in Flint and a few other places, too, I think it's just it's politically toxic to, to use well, it. And I, 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 I think uh, the reason this motion is being made by Annick is to save the city of Flint. It may have to just um, go into bankruptcy to save the. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, I think that's quite so. True. I think that this is. I think that's what he's adding. I haven't asked him. I'm only guessing. This is from a distance, guys. But it's prudent to do that. If and I live in this community, at least affected by what goes on in Flint. So. I'm concerned about it, and any good measure would be that's good for the plant. It's, it's okay, Henry. We we have the freedom to speculate here because we we're not running for anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, um. But again, on the other hand, there has to be some way of dealing with with local governments that are financially uh, at the edge of bankruptcy or worse. But certainly the way things worked out in Flint, among other places, like I said, makes the application of that law very, very tough. My only question there was that with, with Ananick, you know, would his, as a Democrat, would his bill have any chance of getting through the legislature? Or is it just a matter of uh, making a proposal and hoping it doesn't die in committee? Well, I'm not going to go to Republicans like Martin and those and get them lined up to protect, you know, City of Flint is probably the third largest city in Michigan. 
And I don't think uh, Lansing Republicans are as in favor of uh, emergency managers as they once were. That's uh, probably isn't true. Anna, isn't Anna considered kind of uh, moderate, too, as well? Well, he talks to me, so he must. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's a minority leader, so I mean, I think that in terms of his views, that's probably a fair statement, I think. Well, at, uh, at the very least, and I think we saw this during his time uh, on the Flint City Council, he's always been thoughtful. Yeah. yeah. And and I think he's respected for that on both sides of the aisle. So, you know, maybe, maybe he can pick up a few votes that somebody else might not be able to. Yeah. Again, I'm speculating too, Henry. <laughs> well, we do need to save the city of Flint if we can. This was the... Remember... 40 years ago, this had the highest income per capita in the world. That's true. And look where we are. Exactly. We still have the capacity. There's a lot of investment here, General Motors, that's lots of money here, in the pockets of its retirees and in its institutions. If that money can be garnered, we can come back and with a good education system, including the University of Michigan, Mott College, and all of those, we can come back. But you got to find the leaders to put that process yeah, together. Yeah, uh, well, the, the school system is a model for the nation. The community school idea yeah. was picked up by so many other areas, and yeah. now it's you know hanging on by its fingernails, barely able to survive. Well, we need better leaders than the one featured in this next piece. Um, this this one could almost be an X file, guys. Um, an Ingham County judge on Wednesday lifted a personal protection order that one state lawmaker had taken out against a second lawmaker <laughs> after their romantic relationship soured. Oh. Circuit Judge Lisa McCormick terminated the PPO. Representative Mary Mnugin, a Democrat from Birmingham, obtained against Representative Stephen Marino, a Republican from Harrison Township, Ooh. in September. McCormick, who, who reviewed a large number of text messages exchanged between the two lawmakers between May 2019 and September 2021, said Mnuchin's communications with Marino made it possible for him to know what was made it impossible for him to know what was acceptable from one day to the next. For instance, Mnuchin had uh, complained in her request. Uh, for the protection order of an unwanted hug from Marino, but conceded in her testimony that she also sent him messages that said she missed his hugs, that a good hug can do a ton of good, and that she just wanted to hug him, the judge said in her three-page order. Um, how will all this friction affect their chances for being selected king and queen at the prom? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there, didn't seem to be, there, there didn't seem to be anything uh, illegal about what they did, just because they're Democrat and Republican. That makes a good mix sometimes. But, um, but, but you know, um, so they can't the whole new meaning, them the whole new meaning of being in bed indecent. together. There's nothing that would make them indecent. I don't think they were married. Anybody. But this whole back and forth thing um, yeah. between them and playing out in court and so on, yeah. the whole thing just That's seems so high school to me. Yeah, yeah it's bizarre there. 
measured the chances of being elected. I, I was thinking, Henry, you think Mitch McConnell just needs a big hug? I think that would. Yeah, <laughs> I think he does. <laughs> it lends a whole new meaning to to the phrase "being in bed together." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Strange bedfellows, as they say. <laughs> you know who I feel sorry for is the judge that had to go through all their text messages. That's true. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> but he might have been salivating, too. <laughs> well, okay. you know, because there were some really uh, sweet things going on there probably in the conversation. And that's well, the, the, the circuit observe. judge, um, yeah, this, the circuit judge that uh, lifted that PPO was... Um, Lisa McCormick was a woman. Mm. <laughs> well, Justice let's see. served cold. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'll be quiet. <laughs> oh, let's see if we got time to get this one into the uh, before the break at the top of the hour. Lawmakers with support from the uh, Whitmer administration are fast-tracking a bipartisan package of bills intended to give Michigan a better chance of attracting major new plants related to electric vehicles. The three bills, which are expected to use federal stimulus money to try to attract new manufacturing plants in Michigan, were approved Wednesday morning by the House Government Operations Committee. The bills also passed the full House Wednesday uh, by a vote of 83 to 21, with some Republicans and some Democrats voting for and against the legislation. The plan is to get the bills to Governor Gretchen Whitmer's desk during uh, the few remaining session days before the lawmakers break for the holidays. The legislation, which in addition to sweetening incentives, is intended to help create shovel-ready sites that can be marketed to potential companies follows recent developments in which Michigan was passed over for battery plants and other plants related to electric vehicles for states farther south. Why isn't Michigan already positioned to dominate electric uh, vehicle manufacturing? Yeah, I, I thought it is. Isn't Lansing is. getting a battery plant? I just saw some stuff yeah, in the last I, couple days. Yeah, I think so. Uh, They're millions in Lansing just to create A better this. question is why isn't Michigan building a chip factory? Uh, yeah. True. Yeah, there's that too. All those bad yeah, cars That's not going to be a big expenditure, and you would you would put the automotive industry back on its feet again. Yeah, but all the Russians uh, control and Chinese control all of those ingredients that make up the chips. So well, there's gotta, other there's other sources for those those metals. Vietnam is setting on one of the largest loads of rare earth metals in the world. Yeah, you know. And I thought there was uh, there was some proposal about a Michigan ship factory. I thought in the southwest corner someplace, but I don't know where it went. Some some weeks ago, I saw saw a brief story on that. Yeah, in, uh, in maybe, World War II, we could convert the plants to build airplanes, and at the beginning of the pandemic, we could convert the plants to make uh, ventilators. Ventilators, true. You yeah. Know, why? Yeah. Why not chips? I think that's a great question, Paul. But we have to take a break here for our top of the hour ID. We'll be back with the second half of uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, joined by Wes Whitaker from the Convention of States Project. We'll be back with more right after this. Hi, I'm Alexander Zonjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 